This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Gold podcast. This is a special and important one because I got to talk to Race Cooper, a former porn star who told me all about racism in the industry. Now a personal trainer and fitness model, Race worked for the illustrious gay porn company Falcon Studios, where he told me he suffered racism in many different forms. Amid the Black Lives Matter movement, Race signed off a tweet and an Insta post decrying the hypocrisy and the racial prejudice in the porn industry. His posts blew up in a big way, and he was even interviewed by Pink News. He still goes by his stage name of Race, which he initially picked as a test that he believes the porn industry failed. Nice to meet you, Mr. Andrew Gold. Nice to meet you, Race Cooper. How are you doing? All right. Let me uh, turn up my volume here. Thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for, for asking me. This is, uh, I'm, um, you know, I did not expect uh, this much response from when I, I uh, kind of called out the porn industry, but uh, mm. I'm glad that people are, are willing to listen and, and, uh, and talk about it. You know what? Because it's such a big issue right now, obviously, and, and should have been for a long time, racism. Um, yeah. And I, I just feel like I don't really have a voice to add to that. So it's not my voice at all. But, you know, I thought uh, I wanted to see maybe an angle that not everyone's looking at, which is why I, I, so I typed into Google just like, okay, well, I wonder what it's like in the porn industry. There must be something going on there. So I did right. that. And then your name popped up. Right. Um, oh, okay. interesting. And, yeah. And so... Yeah, are you getting a lot of a lot of people getting in touch or anything? Yeah, well, um, yes. Uh, so I, I had an interview with Pink News. That was probably the article that came up pretty much two days after I I made that tweet and I made an Instagram post about you know my frustration with the porn industry, uh, given their their kind of blanket statement on uh, Black Lives Matter. You know, um, I got a response from the CEO of Falcon. You know, two days like a day later uh, Hmm. saying, you know, we, we admit we've made mistakes. We want to do better, blah, blah, blah. And like, well, that would have been better than the statement you came out with beforehand. What was that? It was, it was statement of like being fully inclusive of diversity and, uh, and that we were wanting to work with the black communities in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. That was kind of the gist of the statement. Hmm. And the first step into trying to be anti-racist or trying to work in solidarity with black communities is to take acknowledgement of your racist history. And there was nothing from Falcon in doing that beforehand. And I waited a long period of time before saying anything. Um, so I think it was that instance of seeing that statement that I was just, okay, I, all right. Uh, hmm they're not doing their homework. They're just kind of like co-opting this movement for themselves. Um, And that infuriated me most of all, because I remember my treatment during my time working there. I get infuriated because I see people writing things and I think you're, you're definitely a racist. Now you're writing, (laughs) you know, 
You know what I mean? I've got so many friends like that. And I'm like, you are such a, or for example, you know, my family's Jewish. And like, so these are people who maybe might've said anti-Semitic things in the past. And now they're going, right. no racism. I'm like, I don't believe you. you. You don't care. What can uh, a white person like me do to help in, the, in this instance? Um, I mean, there's many ways to help, right? The, I mean, if you're going to be out there and protest, you know, take take the signal of black leaders that are that are at BLM protests, um, because we always need white white allies. Um, but you know, the way in which you do that, you know, perhaps not raising your arms up is the right thing because you're not the person that's you know in being oppressed and in danger of your life being taken by police. However, uh, as a white ally, you can definitely, when those arms are raised by black people, is stand in front of them to make sure that you're a shield for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that says a lot. Um, uh, as well, and just kind of like helping to amplify black voices and artists and businesses and just kind of like, because the whole system has kind of suppressed and oppressed us for so long that we've never had kind of fair equality for anything. Um, and, and that... That has been lacking in our representation in many parts of the image industry, whether it is uh, the porn industry, television industry, film, uh, or record industry. Mm -hmm. um, that amplification has never been there. So now is the time to have that amplification there. So at least we feel like we're given, we're starting to get that that equal treatment. I even feel like, but starting to take that back, you know. And and the third way I think that you know. Uh, as a white person that you can help is really just educating yourself. It, it takes a lot of uncomfortableness uh, uh, or racial stamina to deal with educating yourself. And that's the hardest part for white people. Uh, mm. The easiest part is to go to the pre-test. The easiest part is to donate to black causes or to, or to help promote businesses. Those are really easy. The hard part yeah. is educating yourself because it doesn't, it doesn't give you the promise of reward. In fact, you are, you become more of a target for white supremacists. Hmm. I can't imagine how difficult it must be. It's such a, it's, it goes so deep, obviously much deeper than, than what I would realize obviously day to day. I don't see that kind of thing. And I right. think that's also why I do get quite annoyed by, like I say, those friends of mine or whoever it might be who put things on Instagram. And I think you, you're not trying to understand. You're just putting a thing and then everybody's going well done. And I, I, I don't know. You know what's interesting? I was thinking, so the, the porn industry, and obviously you're going to tell me about the, the, the racism problems in the porn industry. Yeah. What, what I've always found interesting is that the actual users of porn, you know, in the comments on Pornhub or whatever, not that I've ever been on that such a website. <laughs> it's okay. There's no judgment if you do. Like we all fucking jerk off. <laughs> I don't even know what a porn is. Um, <laughs> but if I had been on there, I might have noticed that the comments are very rarely compared to YouTube, say. They're very rarely racist or homophobic or anything. You know, they're all quite, everyone seems to be getting along. Uh, if they're going to argue, they're arguing over who they prefer of the porn stars or something. Right. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, it's it's a mixed bag, right? Mm. Um, and in porn, you know, everybody's just trying to get off. Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> there is... Uh, and here's the underlying thing. There is strong fetishization. Um, and that's kind of like in tied into uh, my experiences in working in porn. And mm. what I mean by, and I have to explain fetishization because fetishization is an aspect of racism. You know, um, when you, and here's the way that I can make it 
straight people understand. Um, when you kind of look at Asian females as sexy and submissive in some way, that comes from a stereotype of geishas uh, and that kind of submissive female uh, sexuality. However, Asian males aren't put in the same context. They're not looked at as sexual and they're not looked at and sometimes in gay world they can be looked at submissive but generally they're just not sexualized as much so think about that fetishization of the female asian and you realize that has tinges of racism in it so of course in the comments you wouldn't see that like unless you recognize it that those comments seem to be like everybody's into that thing, but if they're th- if they're thinking towards that Asian female, ooh, I really want that submissive Asian female to serve me and then and then like dominate her, like that's racism, right? Yeah. If you're thinking about that black male, I'm like, oh, that big black cock, I'm like, oh, he's interchangeable from any other black guy. That's racism, even though you're yeah. fetishizing it, it's racism. So you. I would look back at those comments with that knowledge and then tell me, you know, whether it's what you thought it was or not. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting point. Uh, I, I still think, I mean, the comments section, I just mean, is not as toxic, but I completely get what you're saying. I mean, you're saying on a deeper level what people are, the things people are attracted to and what that's based on, the cultural history and everything and the made, made up uh, cultural history. Um, so, so, so tell me about like, how have you experienced, uh, racism in the, in the porn industry? So I worked for Raging Stallion Studios, which is now uh, a part of Falcon Studios. Uh, they signed me on as a casting director, uh, so that we working with models, uh, booking them at the same time though, I was signed as an inclusive model myself. I knew how anybody was paid and I n- noticed strongly, of course, including myself that, Black people were always paid less than white. Wow. Okay, so that's one way in which yeah. racism was there. That's very clear. That's a that's a very clear way, isn't it? That's very that's powerful. Yeah, very clear. Mm. Um, the other way in which uh, there was, you know, kind of fostered racism was there was always a question on the intake forms for applications of models and actors, and the one question that would stick out to me was is there anybody that you would not want to have a scene with? And they were always encouraged to specify if there was any race that they didn't want to have sex with. Okay. Uh, So black men were okay for white men to say that they didn't want to have sex with them. However, if I were to say the same thing, I would be reprimanded, you know, (laughs) probably not allowed to shoot with a lot of people because, you know, why would you not, say that you wouldn't want to sleep with white guys um so <laughs> yeah could, could you ever say i don't want to sleep with asian guys I, I, and i totally could but that's also reinforcing that racism which i understood was already there right there was there was a racism that was allowed to foster for anybody to say this this person isn't what I prefer to have sex with. And while I understand personal preference, even though if you're going to base that on skin color, it's still racism, uh, Mm. in a personal consenting uh, private situation, when you are doing that as part of uh, sex work with a company, a company that provides taxes, uh, information to the government, and that you have to pay taxes on, when you are deciding now that a person of color is no longer worthy of work, hmm. uh, right, you've, you've basically discriminated on the basis of their skin color that these people are going to work less in this field. 
because you're allowing racism to foster. This would never be allowed in the film industry and this wouldn't be allowed in the television industry or the record industry. So why is it being allowed here? When people hear these these kinds of things, and I think they're rightly outraged. Uh, What, I guess it's hard to put you put your my head inside your head how does it actually emotionally on an emotional level to see that kind of thing on a piece of paper uh how does that make you feel um at the time it was just kind of it, it was really troubling because it was it was me having to kind of assess okay i'm in this situation now where i work for this company i can see that this is a racist practice that's helping to foster a racist environment uh, and especially putting preferential treatment to white actors over uh, black or Asian actors. Um, What can I do with that so that I don't rock the boat too much that I get fired, but at the same time, I need to let them know that this is not okay. In the years that I worked there, you know, I think I brought it up maybe like eight or 10 times with various people at all degrees, um, you know, president of the company through to uh, public relations um, and directors like, you know, this question that's there really shouldn't be on there. Like, really shouldn't be on there. And the explanation would always be given is that, well, we have to make sure that the preference of the model is okay. I'm like, yeah, but you could get non-racist models and make them work more. So, hey, (laughs) like, really? (laughs) It's interesting, though, because I think think what you said before about uh, you have to deal with an uncomfortable reality when you are a white person or whatever it might be if you're somebody who, who doesn't suffer from this kind of thing. And I think there is a part of me when I first hear that thing of like, uh, what you know? What you said? The people could choose not to be with this race or that race. For a second, there was a thing in my mind of like, oh, like you said, oh, that's personal preference. And then, obviously, as I said to you, I'm Jewish, and I imagined it. I had to put myself in that position. I did all this in like a split second. I put myself into that position. And I thought, if I saw a piece of paper and it said, uh, right, you don't want to have sex with Jewish people, I, I would go home and cry all day and right. um, not want to ever go out and talk. And even if people weren't being racist anymore, I would just be like, I don't, I don't even know it. I could, you can never know if someone secretly is or whatever. So that must right. have been yeah, absolutely destroyed. It must have just destroyed you. Well, it didn't destroy me. It was just kind of like, um, okay, I got to do what I can with this. I will try to push from within as much as I can. As soon as I saw that you know, a model profile had this in it. I was like, well, I'm not going to cast that person. I'll try to cast this other person that I know doesn't have any issues. Uh, And also, you know, pressing the issue of that my payment was lower than other exclusives Mm -hmm. that had no experience and were younger than me by 15 years. Like, it's just like, what is going on here? Like, I have... And and this is, for me, you know, the biggest insult of this was, you know, I came from a background of uh, film and media production. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I studied in university in Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in extensive amounts of productions in both television, uh, music videos, commercials, uh, programs, and miniseries. You know, I, I'd done everything from like working as a gaffer up to directing and producing. Like I'd done all that before I did porn, which is kind of like the opposite way. But um, with all that knowledge, you know, I'd be constantly be questioned on my intellect or my resume. And uh, just like, you know, I have more experience than you do. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, by the way, and this is another, um, this is me being prejudiced because my, I, I, you are more, far more eloquent than I 
I, not that I met many porn stars, but you're very eloquent, very well spoken. You're clearly bright, uh, and uh, you know. And I don't, I don't know what I expected at all. You know, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> met a porn star, but um, would you say you're at the higher end of that, or could you could you say about yourself in terms of eloquence in the porn industry? Um, I've, I've been told that I have a a well spoken way of conveying idea or message, but. Granted, that's what I went to education for. I could probably say that I'm one of many uh, smart and intellectual porn stars because I, I know a few of them, definitely a few of them. Mm. Uh, none of us have really stayed in the industry that long because, you know, the more that we're in it, the more it reveals itself to be a toxic environment mm. um, for us. Were you you're quite young? Were you 20-odd when you went into uh, I was not young. I was about 36. It was 2008 and the stock market had crashed. And I was like, yeah. how am I going to pay bills? I have my body. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's how I kind of got into it. And what a body, um, by the way. I've seen the photos. <laughs> I know you're, doing, you're an exercise guru as well. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. So, and that's another point, again, not to be glib at all, but but uh, another stereotype of porn uh, performers, and I think it's probably more on the heterosexual side, is that they don't have very handsome faces. Um, but right. you do have a very handsome face. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that would be a stereotype because, I, I mean, I, I know plenty of people that have handsome faces, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's a mixed bag with, with porn and porn actors and you're going to have some that are very fairly intelligent and then mm. you're going to have some that are fairly not and fair yeah. and immature yeah. um so you know you're getting you're getting me uh which is <laughs> you know more than porn star i mean i think that that's what people know me as yeah. a lot but also people know me as a fitness guru as well you know, I made a conscious decision to keep my stage name from porn to continue. Granted, if that's what perks people's ears up to get them to direct towards me. Not just to, that is. To want to engage with me and be interested in me, then fine. That's that's great. But uh, don't expect me to to be all that because there's, you know, the part of me that's a writer. There's a part of me that's a podcaster. There's a part of me that's an artist. There's a part yeah. of me that's a model. Uh, there's part of me that's a fitness guru. So there's, there's lots of parts to me. And, um, and I can speak about my experience uh, only about the porn because there's been enough distance in time now that I've been able to heal from that because it was, it was definitely hard going through that. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it, it made me feel devalued, uh, less worthwhile, you know, because no matter how much work I did or how, how great of a, a performer I was, you know, I was always being seen as less than, um, and, uh, and to kind of suffer that in silence, you know, for so period, so much, so long of a period of time, uh, kind of weighs on you a bit until you know some time has passed and you realize your value and your value is not decided on how guys see you sexually or girls see you sexually uh, but on something way more the biggest thing about falcon not recognizing their racist history was that their founder uh chuck holmes was a very outspoken racist very outspoken racist oh, wow. like, and his like his whole aesthetic was was mostly on clean shaven beefy white guys and not in black 
sexuality at all. And uh, and he, he's, he and his name is now on the uh, LGBTQ museum in San Francisco uh, because he gave so much money to philanthropy. Meanwhile, you know, uh, oppressing and suppressing, you know, black and Asian actors. Um, and that's the reason why all of these porn studios, like all of them kind of like emulate his idea and concept of what sexy is. That's systemic racism in porn. You know what it is when it's police and the justice system now. Yeah. This is what it is in porn. And this is what it does in putting value of black actors and Asian actors and Latino actors sometimes downward and, and keeping them, you know, oppressed in some way, uh, uh, underpaid, undervalued, uh, treated differently. Uh, and then how that flows into our aspects of visually what is sexy. Right. Because porn is the gatekeeper for where we learn sex from. We don't learn it from our parents. We don't really learn it from sex. Ed. We learn it from porn. Right. Yeah. So if the perspective is always in a racist vacuum of what we're seeing sexually, then, of course, the people that are not uh, looked at on Tinder, of course, are black and Asian people. The, the people that are not looked at um, on Grindr are people that look darker, you know? You know, this is the aspect that's being fed to us 24-7, you know? Our, the gay version is like a white guy with big muscles and a hairy chest is the same version as a straight version of the blonde girl with big tits. Like, it's the same thing. You know, we're fed this, yeah. right? And that's why we don't want that. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I, I can see how porn has become sort of the great decider, and then it, everything filters down from there. So you, right. it, what did you did you encounter many uh, sort of racist porn stars, or did it all come from above? Uh, no, there's like, there's racism everywhere. So it, was, it came from above. It came from aspects of having to work with racist models because you know I would see their profile. I already knew they're racist. Um, what would be on their profile? When, when they answered the question of who they oh, were, yeah. I was like, I, I still had to read everybody's. I still had to like, I still had to cast them when directors wanted them, and I still had to work with them. Do you ever so, ask them? Do you ever ask someone why? Why would you say that you don't want to work with black actors? No, because I mean, like, it's you know, at the time there was, it wasn't that I, I didn't have an idea of how to kind of convey that to a person. There was the the risk of losing work for me, right? There was the aspect of, am I really going to get them to see the light? Like, do are they going to be willing to listen, right? Yeah. Because it's uncomfortable. Like we've said yeah. before, it's uncomfortable, yeah. right? If I call you and say, hey, something you did was racist, I'm like, yeah. you're automatically going to think, hey, I'm a bad person. No, I, that wasn't me. I wasn't racist. You're being racist. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, like yeah, completely yeah. Like, uh, disproportionate to what I'm saying. Uh, in a reaction. Um, so, you know, for me in that, in those aspects of dealing with racist people, you know, I just kind of nod, I just kind of leave it alone, uh, you know, because didn't want to have to deal with it and nothing. Uh, I wanted to work with the people that were in charge more and say, you know, let's try to change this rather than working with the actors. Mm. Right. It wasn't my, it wasn't my position to, to check them on the racism. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, the horrible thing was when I was put in a scene with a racist person, and then I'm just like, 
fucking uh, why are uh, they putting me in the scene with person yeah like not even my choice right not a person that i want to work with and they're uh, also thinking oh why is he in this scene i didn't check the box right exactly um uh, or the times where I'd have to deal with like racist agents, like oh. the agents of, uh, yeah. Cause, cause they were the, they were the kind of the worst. Cause they were the people that were the most, try, they tried the most to either get me fired or to uh, chew me out for something hmm. or say that I was un, unqualified or not intelligent or would be telling their models not to do scenes with me. You know, like it, that was the stuff that really uh, pissed me off. Uh, coming from an aspect of working in television, you know, um, and, and doing news uh, at some point and doing some reporting at some point, you know, part of me was like, hey, at least I'll have a really great story to tell. Too <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to, I think you have to, when life really gets to you like that, you've got to be like, this is a story. I'm having, this is just a, yeah. you know. This is just a story. I mean, I'm suffering and dealing with the shit right now, but it's going to be a good story, whether over dinner or in a paper or as yeah, a documentary, yeah. it's going to be something. Did you, um, did you ever sit down and process what was happening to you then at the time? Or is it a case of like, you've afterwards you're going, oh my God, do you know what I mean? Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random 
same IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right. No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, there would be times and moments like I, I could definitely tell that there would be aspects of depression during mm. the time that I was working there. Um, and, and, and that it became just harder and harder to be in it as time mm. wore on. They basically merged with Raging Stallion, right. um, uh, Falcon did. And a few months after that point, I got laid off. And I was like, okay, am I the only person being laid off? And I'm like, yep. I'm like, okay. No way. <laughs> Really, I, I don't think until recently I started processing a lot, like probably over the last few months, definitely during quarantine, it's helped me to process a lot okay. of my time during uh, porn. And and it only kind of started happening because, you know, my best friend and I started making our own podcast, Daddy Issues, um, in which we talk about LGBT, mm. or sorry, not LGBT, but gay, bi, uh, trans male identifying uh, older men um, yeah. and how they're dealing with life and what their mentality is. Is daddy know, slang? Older. Daddy is a slang for like older gay guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah, I need to explain that. So that's, <laughs> that's the aspect of our, our daddy issues podcast with myself, Ray Cooper and Matt Fuller as my co-host. Okay. Um, but during our time in like making our podcast uh, on lockdown, we were, you know, coming into subject matter that was always kind of reflective of like what I posted in porn and, and what my experiences were like in porn. And so one of my friends who came on my podcast, he was like the first scene partner I had and he was black. And we just started talking about what did we hate the most? And he, you know, sometimes he said, Stayed, you know, things that I hated most was this, this, this. And then mine was like, I really hated the racism. Like the racism really bugged me. And after I did that podcast, I started processing a lot of the stuff that was that went on. And and you know, the memories started just coming up more and more about, you know, this actor doing this thing or this person doing that thing, or yeah. this person saying off the cuff, oh, we need to get put a more few more black guys in this film otherwise we're gonna look racist you know like like statements like that would just like come off all the time and and then you're putting it all in perspective and like oh of course it was all a fostered set of racism that was inside this porn company 
and you were you were basically serving as that token so that it didn't seem racist and as much as you wanted to try to change that aspect of what was there and yeah. try to change that environment uh you couldn't and and that that kind of reassessment of everything made me kind of look at the situation today and kind of connect dots to you know people not having empathy for black people yeah. comes from a lot of different areas porn included um and and not having empathy makes it easier for police to brutalize us. Yeah. Uh, and having that connection of dots, uh, maybe kind of look at this and like, well, I couldn't do anything back then, but I can do something now if I talk about it. So, so here you are. Yeah. So here I am. Yeah, yeah. I think you're doing a very good, uh, good job of it, to be honest. Um, well, thanks. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just kind of uh, rolling with punches here. To keep this all in context, you know, connecting the dots of racism, fetishization, anti-blackness, white supremacy, those are all parts of racism. And to understand it and to be able to fight it, you have to understand all the parts. Yeah, it's so hard because it's what you were saying before that when you get told that, you know, somebody tells you you're doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah it, it's uncomfortable. You don't want to hear it. And you, you, I think our minds have an amazing ability to concoct stories where we're the heroes in them. So we go, well, I'm the right. hero. I couldn't possibly, I'm not even going to, I saw a video the other day. Did you see, it was uh, somebody of, uh, I think Chinese origin or something. Uh, he, he had a, um, he had an accent. So, so English wasn't his first language. And this woman in, in America somewhere was, you know, going crazy at him and, and impersonating a Chinese accent. Um, and before she did it, she said, I'm not racist. But, and then she started, to, she started impersonating his accent. She was saying, go back to China, all this uh, stuff. And, and uh, that's that amazing. Is, yeah, that is the biggest joke in America. Yeah. It's like, how can you tell a racist? Because they're going to say, <laughs> I'm not racist, but. <laughs> Man, it's, it's awful because, but, but, but it also gets to the point of it, which, which I think is this, this woman, she doesn't think she's racist. Donald Trump right. does not think he's racist. So right, it's so hard to get through to them. And I think in the porn industry, it's not as regulated, I suppose. I mean, if a marketing, if some big brand, say, I don't know, Adidas, well, I'm just thinking of sports right. brands, right. but, but they, you know, Timberland, they, if they said something like this, they would, they would have to go back. People won't buy their stuff. There could be a problem. Now, the porn industry is very different because people are still going to go to Pornhub. People are still going to, I mean, how do right. you change that? Right. How do you change that culture? I think it's, I mean, it's starting to, it's, it's, it's actually remarkable in, in that, you know, I'm talking to you. You know, uh, a podcaster, a reporter in Berlin. You know, I've talked to a reporter in uh, London just last week. Uh, I'm having, I'm seeing, you know, uh, tweets and uh, and petitions being crafted by different porn stars around the world now on the racism. Like these are things that I I hadn't seen before. I I tweeted that, and and now I'm just like. Well, uh, how, how do you change it? I mean, basically you change it by talking about it. The porn industry as a whole has been suffering major losses because of the power of technology, because of the uh, social media connection that we all have. Hmm. We are all 
pretty much our own pornographer, right? Every time we take a dick pic, every time we send whatever video of ourselves to anywhere, right? We are in control of our own image. And that's why things like OnlyFans or Just for Fans have like exploded in their amount of content. Yeah. However, even with those things, they have to be careful of racism, uh, racism in iconography, uh, slurs, saints, fetishization, all those things. Um, if these companies are going to change, they have to they have to acknowledge that they can't stick to the old ways. Those that want to spend money on porn studios and give them money for subscriptions will be asking them, okay, you need to change these things. Otherwise, you know, what little money you have, it's not going to be there. Uh, And they've been slowly dwindling with this technology because, you know, we can all do amateur porn. We can all find something to get us off. There's so much porn already out there for free that why do you buy it? Okay, yeah. unless you have a certain allegiance to that company. And that allegiance and loyalty is being tarnished now. Yeah. Isn't it annoying, though, that they'll change because they have to and not? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, they, right. they have to. <laughs> right. And if they had any kind of morality, if they had any kind of conscious thing, thinking towards what this impact was doing to people of color, they would have changed a long time ago. They would have listened to the comments that I stated to them when I worked there. But now that they have to be forced in their hand because I'm basically, you know, letting, letting it all out. I'm not, I'm not keeping their secrets anymore. Um, that says a lot about them. You know, that says a lot about their, their direction that they needed this forced hand to be able to change yeah Uh, i have quite a cynical outlook about humanity i think we're all quite self-serving um and we want to help people a little bit and we want to do a little you know but i think generally we all just want to and that that i think that's probably a big part of the problem yeah I, i think that's been a large part of our society for too long is uh is not being altruistic is not kind of seeking out to help that we have to be more conscious of more than ourselves, right? Yeah. If we're going to survive as a human race. But we won't be though. I mean, how many selfish people do you know? Come on. Uh, what percentage of your friends oh, are selfish? there's a ton of selfish people. Oh my God, there's a ton of selfish <laughs> yeah. people. Go on, what, what's the percentage of everyone you know? What percentage are quite selfish? Um, I'd probably say about 30 or 40%. See, that's low. For me. <laughs> that's low yeah. compared, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And, and do you think in many ways you're selfish as well? Um... Hmm. I think all, all of us have a little bit of selfishness in them, in ourselves. Mm. I mean, it's it's impossible to not being totally selfless tends to drain you. Right? You can't have very much energy uh, to be able to help others if you're not giving anything back to yourself. Your experience of probably not seeing uh, people that are selfless or people Mm. that are altruistic is possibly because you know you have narcissists attracted to you a lot you know what it is it's what i was saying at the beginning of the conversation about because i've got these friends who i just know to be not not i don't know if they're racist or not nothing you know how do you know i don't know but 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 uh, they don't they don't necessarily do do the the right selfless thing at home. They don't help their friends cross the street. They don't do that extra work for their friend. They don't offer a helping hand. And then they're on Instagram going, uh, oh, let's fight racism, Black Lives Matter. And I just think, I don't believe you. Yeah. You want the right. likes. And, all right. It's, 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 a, it's a gut feeling with a lot mm. of people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I find that 
as the older I get, you know, now I'm like 46. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I'm an old guy. I'm a daddy now. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in terms of gay world, trust me, I'm a daddy. I'm an older guy. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it, in, in being that older person, you know, I, I understand that, uh, I don't want to waste my time with people. You know, I don't want to waste my time with people that aren't going to be able to give back to me in some way. There comes a breaking point, right? Mm -hmm. There comes a breaking point where like all, all of us as black individuals have said enough. Tell me this, because I've I, I got to wrap it up soon. I'm taking okay. a lot of your time as well. And it seems flippant to go back to it now after we've got into these issues and stuff. But would, I mean, would, would you ever go back into the porn industry? I saw that in 2019 <laughs> there, was, there was something on IMDb. Uh, 2019. What was on IMDb in 2019? Hard meat or fresh meat. That's that's weird. I mean, maybe they used some old production yeah. video, but I've not done anything since 2012, maybe yeah. 2013. Okay. So it's been at least seven years oh, of yeah. shooting. Huh? Do you miss it? No. Because uh, I just, no. I spoke last week, so I'm speaking to a lot of like interesting people, I think. I spoke last week to uh, a Hasidic, Hasidic Jew, an Orthodox Jew who had left the community. Uh, and, they, you know, she'd been forced to marry and what she, she described as being raped every night. You know, it's horrible, horrible. And she still said, despite all of that, there are parts of it that she misses. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Are there parts you okay. miss? If there's parts of it that I miss. Hmm. There... Like I said, it's it's really was like a hedonistic time. Like it was a time of discovery sexually for me, but it was definitely like a point of like, hey, I'm getting a lot of my bucket list items off. I'm getting to do a lot of things that I wanted to try sexually and I'm getting paid for it. There were times where I felt like a rock star. There were times where I got paid to do a live sex act on stage at a club hmm. and flown to Berlin and got put into a nice hotel and had a great scene partner. And and basically everybody that I met wanted, wanted to do great things for me. And because, you know, I was like the guy and I got into like Burkheim and I was like, holy oh. crap, like, oh my God. like, that was nothing. Oh, Lady Gaga got denied. Okay, fine. <laughs> what was Burkheim like? Cause I've never been because I'm the most lame person in oh the world. Oh my God, Burkheim is like the best. It yeah. is my favorite club in the world. And I can really say that. So those are the things that were like really kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, like they're fleeting in like a normal atmosphere of like life right you don't get the to get treated like a rock star for like two years yeah. um but the toxicity of it made it not worthwhile to want to go back to um ever there were some good aspects nothing that we want to return to no. um i think the only way in which there would be room to return to it and this is going to take a long time for it to happen anyway is for it to become that kind of diverse porn studio that it should have yeah. been that 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 company that fights racism uh within its ranks and for that to happen it's definitely going to take a number of years mm -hmm. for that to happen and by that time you know the whole porn industry is probably going to be completely different yeah you know it's everybody is getting really good at editing on tiktok on their phones like why why would you need a big company anymore right to get what you want to and i think yeah. that porn will return to an artistry that it hasn't in a very long time and when it does turn into that artistry there's no room for doing any kind of like 
exclusive contract or any of this stuff or or name brand uh, porn. Uh, it is porn will be what it is, yeah. and uh, and will and it'll be accessible to everybody, um, yeah. and be able to be produced uh, by anybody. So yeah, yeah. those are the things to look ex- look forward to. But as well in that aspect, I don't need to be in it to talk about it. I don't need to be in it in order to help it move forward. And uh, I don't need to return to it uh, to help the, those that are in it now. There'll likely be no return to the porn industry for race, but let's hope his words go some way towards improving things in the industry. They can start by getting rid of those exclusive contracts that enable porn stars to choose which ethnicities to avoid. I think we ended on a positive and determined note there. I'd like to thank Race for talking to me. His was a very insightful episode, full of learning curves and surprises. Check him out on Twitter at RaceCooperForReal, that's a number four before real, and look him up for personal training, which he's offering online, or presumably once things open up again, in San Francisco. As for me, please do subscribe and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. Follow me on Twitter on at AndrewGold underscore OK, uh, where you'll find links to my YouTube channel full of documentaries and podcasts. Next week, I've got a very controversial guest in the form of a teenage paedophile who is the head boy at his school. So make sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss that.